0: Well, let me begin by wishing you God's uh, richest blessing on your 27th anniversary. I was thinking where I was and what I was doing when I was 27 years old. When I was 27, i had completed national service. I've completed uh, postgraduate studies in UK. I've just gotten married, waiting for our first uh, daughter to arrive, and beginning the church I was pastoring. I just come back from my postgraduate studies in UK and I pastored a church that has two daughter churches, so three churches under my care. It was a challenging time. And I believe that on your 27th anniversary, and I'm told that actually you're older than 27 years old, but uh, we will not talk about that. Uh, most churches like to be younger than they really are. But at 27 years old, you know, the challenges ahead are tremendous, just as I faced when I was 27 years old. I just begun my pastoral ministry, and since then it has been over 40 years. And as I thought about my ministry, I remember also my time with your church uh, at a camp where I spoke on walking the narrow road. Uh, I know some of you are not there, some of you are there, but you have forgotten. Some people say, I met you at a camp, and I always ask them, do you remember what I said at the camp? It's a very embarrassing question, so I stopped asking people what they remember of what I said. Anyway, I spoke on the walking the narrow road, and some of you may remember I said the narrowest of roads to walk is the tightrope. You know, a tightrope walker, when he is on that tightrope, he has only two things in mind. One is to stay on the rope and not to fall. And the other is to get to the other side. And in order to stay on the rope and get on the other side, he has to focus on the end point, And he has to maintain his balance in the midst of, in the danger of falling off the rope. So, on your 27th anniversary, there are two things I want us to keep in mind. One is, what is your agenda for the future ahead? In other words, where are you heading? Where is your end point? That must be a focus. The other thing we have to keep in mind is the danger of falling. Remember I said there's a danger of falling either on the right side or falling on the left side. You know, we live in a world of uncertainty. There is so much uncertainty in the world now, right now. There's tension everywhere. The tension in the South China Sea, there's tension in the Middle East, there's tension between the superpowers. And you know, walking on the tightrope, you are torn from one side and the other side. There's this tension, this uncertainty. We must not fall off the rope in the midst of all uncertainty. So what is it that we have to hold on to that will keep us going? The one thing that is certain. What is the one thing that is certain for all of us who are followers of Jesus? And I want to say that what is certain is found in the Word of God. The Bible tells us the flower fades and the grass fades away, but the Word of God abides forever. So this morning, I want to share with you this topic of the unstoppable gospel. It is the only thing that is certain and the only thing thing that will last. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us, Father, by the illumination of your Spirit, and by the teaching of your word. Show us Jesus, the head of our church, and may we follow him as his disciples and do what he commands us to do. Amen. I want to begin with the words of Jesus to the disciple Simon Peter. After following Jesus for a number of years, well, they are now in the third year, they were three years with Jesus. Now in their third year, Jesus took Peter and the disciples to a remote part of Israel. Today it's called the Golan Heights, and you know that's way north. And many Bible commentators believe that Jesus brought them to a place, uh, it's called Caesarea Philippi, to a place near a cave, a huge cave. You can still see it today if you go to Israel. It's a cave that is known as the Gates of Hell. There's a river flowing into the cave and pagans used to set up their idols there and they would throw sacrifices into the cave. And if the sacrifices go down the river, it means that the gods have accepted the sacrifices. But if the sacrifices come back in the back floor, it means that the sacrifices are rejected. So it's a place, it's a pagan place. It's known as the gates of hell. And Jesus said to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now those are wonderful, powerful words. The church that Jesus is going to establish to Peter is the only thing that is going to stand. So we say that the church is unshakable. The church is unshakable and the gospel is unstoppable. And we see this not only in the gospel but in the whole book of Acts. The book of Acts is basically the Acts of the Apostles, or better, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Or better still, the acts of the unstoppable gospel. And how does the gospel advance? The gospel advances by breaking down barriers and crossing boundaries. So if you study the book of Acts, you find that it is one barrier going down after another, one boundary crossed after another. So today we're going to look at three boundaries in the, the book of Acts that are crossed. Three boundaries that are crossed. The first boundary in Acts chapter 6, the second boundary in Acts chapter 8, and the third boundary in Acts chapter 3. And I hope that in seeing this, we will also get the agenda for our church, for your church on your 27th anniversary. What is it that God wants you to set as your agenda for the coming years? Breaking down barriers and crossing down boundaries. So let's look at first boundary. The first boundary was faced by the church in the very early days. Just as the church was established, we read that they came across a problem. In these days, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the church was growing. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. There were widows in the church, and uh, they appointed some people to take care of uh, distributing food and other things to the widows. And this was given to those who were Hebrews. The Hebrews were the aramic speaking Jews. You know, there were people from the north, they are not in the city, they're in the rural area, they speak dialects. The dialect is Aramaic. But the people who were from the city, the Greek-speaking Jews, were neglected, the Hellenists. Now, what's happening here is that the leadership of the church was still in the hands of the apostles of Peter and uh, uh, 11 disciples, they were from the north, and they were Hebrews or Aramic speaking. But now the church is located in Jerusalem, which is in the south, or which is southern part of uh, uh, of Galilee, and the people that were Greek speaking, they were more influenced by the Romans and the Greeks. So there were two language groups in the church, and because the leadership positions are occupied by those who were arabic speaking or Hebrew-speaking, the Greek-speaking widows, the Hellenists were neglected. So there's a tension between the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking, and the Hebrews, the arabic speaking Now today we may compare to a church that has the English-speaking churchgoers and the Chinese-speaking churchgoers. And very often you know the cultures are different, and sometimes the leadership is taken by one of the groups and the other group is neglected. It's quite similar to what happens in the book of Acts. So Peter is confronted with this problem. There's this tension within the church between two groups in the church, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. So what is the solution? And this is what Peter said. Peter said, therefore brothers, pick out from among, your, among you uh, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we appoint to the duty. In other words, among yourselves select seven men who will take care of this situation. And then we read that they came together and they chose Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and Nikona and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. Now the interesting thing about these names is that all these names, if you know uh, your Greek and Hebrew language, you know that they are all Greek names. There's no Hebrew names. There's no Aramaic names. They are all Greeks. So what is happening here is that the leadership up to this point made up the apostles who are mainly Hebrew-speaking, Arabic-speaking, from the rural part of uh, Palestine, now the leadership is being shared with those who were Greek-speaking, the Hellenists, we may we, we call them the more urban believers. So here we see one boundary cross. The leadership is now shared between the two groups. The Hellenists, or made up deacons, and the Hebrews, or the Arabic speaking, the apostles, they're now together in the shared leadership of the church. And that was the first boundary that was crossed. So the gospel brings people together, it takes away the tension between them. Uh, so we need to ask ourselves in today's context, uh, what is What are some tensions that are found within the church between different groups of people? I mean, in the book of Acts, it was the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews. Tension between language groups. But what tension do we have in our church today? Um, If you talk to church leaders in Singapore, one of the tensions that we have to deal with is the tension among the generations or between the generations. Uh, Churches uh, that are mono-generation, in other words, they are made up only one generation and usually the older generation, they are going to face extinction within one generation because the aging leaders, they are going to die off. And if there are no emerging generation, then the church will not survive. But how do you bring the younger generation to serve with the older generation? I'm glad to hear that you don't have this problem in Geylang EFC because In your leadership there is some intentional uh, plan on your part to include leaders from different generations and I'm also glad to say that the last church I pastored is a very good example of how in the leadership we have the 60s the 50s I mean those who are aged in the 60s 50s 40s 30s and even the 20s you know on our church staff and when you have staffing that is made up of people in different generations and your worshipers who are regular worshippers and active members of the church are from different generations, then the church is in a good good place. And I believe that that is where you are, and I congratulate you for that. Now, the second boundary, that's not the only boundary. The second boundary occurs in Acts chapter 8. But before we look at Acts chapter 8, let me remind you of the kind of relationship between A group of people called the Samaritans or the half-Jews. These are the people who are not full-blooded Jews. They are Jews who are married non-Jews and they have become Samaritans. And um, we read in John chapter 8 uh, of the case of the Samaritan woman and Jesus. Remember Jesus was at a well and he met this woman and asked the woman for water. And the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you a Jew ask for a drink from me as a woman Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So they are what we call historic enemies. They are enemies and their enmity strays back a long years, many years, a long time to to the past when the Jews were taking the captivity and the Jews were remained. They intermarried with the pagans and they became despised by the Jews. Now as the church grew, one of the evangelist from the church in Jerusalem went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to the Samaritans the gospel Jesus Christ. And the cross with one, caught attention to what was being said by Philip. And we assume that many of them came to know Jesus. Now what's going to happen? We have two uh, historic enemies. And what could have happened at this point is that they could have formed two separate churches. Now the Samaritans would say, we don't have anything in the Jews, we have our own church. The Jews, we don't have anything in the Samaritans, we have our own church. They could have been two churches, the Church of the Samaritans and Church of the Jews. But what happens, Peter saw this situation. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came and prayed for them. They might receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the, part, the hearts of these apostles, the hearts went out to the Samaritans. Now, even though they were historic enemies, they were enemies from a long time back, Peter felt that they need to go. He and John, these were two top apostles. Now, the chief of the apostles, they went and they prayed for the Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. And they were baptized. You know, later on, Peter has to explain why he did this. But because of this, the two groups of people who did not have any dealings with each other, they came together as one church. And that was the second boundary that's crossed. So the question we need to ask ourselves is today, as we look at the world, you know, what are some of the historic enemies? Now, in the times of the New Testament, there was the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, But what about today? Today we have, right now, in Israel and Gaza, this fighting between two historic enemies. And sometimes as we, and I'm glad our brother prayed for for the war that's going on there. Uh, Last Sunday, when the war broke out, uh, I was at the church and... In the pastoral prayer, I noticed that because it has just happened, there was no prayer made, and I spoke to the pastor, and the pastor said, okay, we will pray for them at our next service, our second service, and I'm glad that while we are gathered here, we are not ignorant or indifferent to what's happening outside, but there we have enemies fighting with each other, and we wonder whether there can ever be any reconciliation between them. Well, I had the privilege of uh, serving with an organization called Hagia Institute, based both in Hawaii and Singapore. We bring leaders from the developing world, from Latin America, from the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. We bring them. They spend a month with us, and we train them in leadership and evangelism. And I had many opportunities to see people coming from different parts of the world who are enemies. And remember, you know, I direct the training at our training center in Hawaii and when the people arrived we put them two persons to a room. And I still remember there was a leader coming from Pakistan and a leader from India. And I said, I'm going to see what happened when I put them in the same room. And one of them was a colonel, I think the one from Pakistan was a colonel, the one from India was a brigadier general. You know, both were believers. They were leaders in the church. They were lay leaders in the churches. But you know, they became such good friends, even though as they shared with one another, they found out they actually were at the border at the same time. They were on different sides of the border at war with each other. But because they are in Christ, they became good friends. Another time, we had a seminar in the Middle East. Uh, We have a seminar that's conducted in English and Arabic, and we hold it in Cyprus. And I'll never forget. I arrived in Cyprus uh, and we were at a welcome dinner, I was sitting at the table and around the table there were Israelis, there were those from the Arab nations, there were about I think a dozen of us sitting at the table and then we heard the news there was a suicide bomb, uh, bomber, um, there was a suicide bomb that went off in, in Israel and many people were killed. And as the news came to us, our leader who was from Egypt said, let's pray. Now, and I'll forget, as we prayed, there were Israeli around the table, there were Arabs around the table, and we prayed as one in the name of Jesus. Now, I've seen this happening when people come together and acknowledge the name of Jesus. You know, no matter what nations are from, no matter what years and centuries the enmity you face, the name of Jesus brings us together as one. Right now, uh, we are getting news from a group of Messianic Jews They're based in Mount Carmel. Uh, And I've been there. And one of the scenes which I'll never forget is how the leaders of this group, they will stand together. There are three of them. One is Israeli, one is Arab, and one is Palestinian. And they will lead in worship. And in the name of Jesus, they are one. So we need to be praying for the gospel to go forth because only the gospel can bring people together as one. There was a second boundary that was crossed. Now we come to the third boundary. The third boundary, Peter was personally involved because you remember he was resting on the rooftop and he saw this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all those animals that were considered unclean to the Jews. And he was commanded by God to eat those animals, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is unclean in my life. I've never eaten anything for my whole life. I will not do it. But you know, God said, what God has made clean, let no man call unclean. And at the same time, just as he saw this vision, there was a knock on the door and there's an invitation for Peter to visit the home of a Gentile. And in those days, the Jews considered their Gentiles to be unclean because they eat unclean animals. So from unclean animals, you get unclean Gentiles. And Peter connected the dots. Now, what, God has called, uh, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. Peter's objection was, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And God said, what God has cleansed, or what God has made clean, do not call unclean or common. And so Peter went. Peter went to the home of this Gentile. And as he entered the home, this is what he said. This is what he said to his host. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, a Gentile. But God has shown me that I shall not call anyone common or unclean. And so the Jews and the Gentiles came together in fellowship with one another. And there's a third boundary cross. Now for Peter to do this, it was not easy. Not to do something which you have never done in your life until that point. To visit a Gentile. So the question we need to ask ourselves today is you know, what is our comfort zone? What have we always done? And what is outside of our comfort zone? What is something we have never done before? And God is saying, I want you to do something which you have never done before. So here we have the Jews and the Gentile God-fearers, or those who are Gentiles, but they have adopted the Jewish faith. Here is Peter going beyond his comfort zone. So we ask ourselves, Are we willing to move beyond our comfort zone? You know, one of the wonderful things that happened during the years of COVID, during our lockdown, or circuit breaker, one of the wonderful things that happened was churches reaching out to the homeless, to the migrant workers. You know, know, our church has the privilege of feeding, um, I can't remember how many families, 40, 50 families during the COVID. We had a cafe in our church, we cooked meals, we served them two meals a day. And many of these were for low-income families and many of them were people living alone by themselves. We had volunteers going and dropping lunch and dinner at their home during the one and a half years of COVID. And this is reaching, going beyond our comfort zone, identifying people who would not come to church. No. Uh, people from a low-income family, people living in rental flats, people living in migrant quarters. You know, the church did something wonderful during the time. we, Our church house, uh, people have no place to go. We looked after six uh, persons. They stayed with us. Uh, we befriended them. We helped them to look for jobs. We help them with all the legal matters about their visas and uh, applications. And after we completed one round, we hosted another round made up of women, and some of the women came with their babies. You know. um, and I believe that the people who stayed with us for six months, for eight months, or nine months, um, you know, their lives will never be the same. Something will remain in the mind forever. Why are these people taking care of us? No. They have not given us anything written, but this is the gospel, the gospel going out beyond our comfort zone to people who are in need. So when we look at the book of Acts, we find this pattern. The church started in Jerusalem, which is basically a Jewish capital. And the church will eventually go to Rome, which is the capital of the Gentile world. And that's the church basically fulfilling the mandate which Jesus gave to the church. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth." This is the unstoppable gospel. The gospel is for all nations, from the Hebrew-speaking Jews to the Greek-speaking Jews, from the Jews to the half-Jews, from the Jews to the Jewish proselytes, those who are Gentile but who adopted the Jewish faith, and finally from the Jews to the Gentiles. I remember once speaking on this and somebody sent me this diagram and I really love this diagram. Uh, you can see the circle, uh, the different the walls. Um, so it begins with this first wall being broken between the two groups within the church. And then the second wall that was broken was this wall between the Jews and the Samaritans. And then the third wall was between the Jews and the Jewish proselytes the Gentiles who believe the Jewish faith. And then finally, the last war that was broken was between the Jews and the world, the rest of the world. So this is the fulfillment of what Jesus has said, which will certainly happen because it is the words of Jesus. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So what is God's agenda? What is God's agenda for the world? God's agenda for the world, for the church, is to reach all nations, from Jerusalem to Rome. Uh, The church spread the gospel, and now the gospel has gone to all continents of the earth. But when it is proclaimed to all ethnic groups, all nations, the end will come. So let me close by asking, ask this question on your 27th anniversary. What is God's agenda for you in the coming years? You know, we are often preoccupied with the world's agenda. We read the news, we watch the news, and our minds are filled with all the things that are happening in the world. You know, it's like seeing things at the tip of the iceberg. You know, on the surface, the iceberg looks like this. And very often, we are preoccupied with all the bombardments of news and, and opinions and happenings in the world. To me, that is the world's agenda. That's what the world is trying to get us to be interested in, trying to get our attention on these things. But you know the iceberg, a large part of the iceberg is beneath the ocean. And I believe that this is God's agenda. And we need to get below the surface and see what God's agenda is. God's agenda is for the gospel to reach every ethnic group, to reach all nations, to reach as many people as possible. So the question I'd like to leave with you on this day, your 27th anniversary, is this. Are we moving according to the winds of the world's agenda on the surface, or are we moving according to the currents of God's agenda beneath the surface? And God's agenda is very simple. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let us pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, on this significant milestone of the 27th anniversary, we pause at this milestone and look to you and ask you to show us. Lord, you have led us thus far. Lead us on from here. Show us, show us what your agenda is from your word. Show us what your agenda is for this church, for the people in Geylang EFC. May the leaders always look to you and to know, to discern your purpose and your plan for this church and for the church worldwide. We thank you for your promise that you will be with us even till the end of time if we go forth and fulfill your great commission. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.